continuing our series in 1 Peter 4. Before Dan comes up and speaks to us, let me read the first six verses of 1 Peter 4. If you're following us in the church Bibles, uh, then this is on page 1219. Might come on the screen. If not, I'll give you a few moments to find it for yourselves. The passage entitled, Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. As Dan comes up, let me pray for him. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for Dan. We thank you that he has spent a lot of time uh, with you, uh, looking through this passage uh, and drawing inspiration from you. And we pray that you would open our hearts and minds now to hear from you. We thank you that uh, he is the vessel through which you are going to communicate with us now. So open up our hearts and minds and fill him with your spirit as he uh, shares with us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Well, if you'd like to keep uh, your Bibles open in front of you as we look through that together, that would be fantastic. Well, uh, you might not know, but uh, a place that has always felt like a second home uh, to me uh, is Newcastle uh, in the northeast. My family come from there. I love the city. I love the people. Uh, now, when I go up to the northeast, when I visit there, uh, in one sense, there's not much uh, that's different uh, between me and the lovely folk of Newcastle. Uh, bear with. Uh, I, mean, I mean, for instance... I mean, we all support the same football team, unfortunately. Uh, I enjoy eating the same local delicacies as they do, ham and peas pudding sandwiches. And I know how to get around most of the city and the local area as well. And yet, even though in one sense I feel at home in Newcastle, it's also equally clear to everyone that I'm not from the local area. I mean, for starters, as soon as I open up my mouth, it's obvious that I'm not a local. I tend to dress a bit warmer than most of the locals. <laughs> and even though, even though I would call Newcastle maybe my second home, uh, it doesn't always feel as comfortable as home down here. I mean... Uh, people talk to you on buses and trains up there. It's, it's like home, but it's not. And I kind of fit in, but I really don't. And that's a similar tension for us as Christians today, isn't it? We live here in South London. We call this place home. We feel comfortable here. And on the surface of things, we, well, we don't look any different from those around us. 
But you know, as we've gone through 1 Peter, Peter has shown us that whilst that might be the case, spiritually speaking, if we are following Jesus, we are exiles. We are people with a new identity, people not of this world. We might live in this culture, we might call this place home, but we're not shaped by this culture. Peter says that in chapter 2, at verse 11 to 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you know, we'll see tonight that Peter again shows us that following Christ is more than just choosing to give up time on a Sunday, but rather choosing to live in a completely different way, choosing to stand out rather than blend in. A decision, as we'll see, to live in a way that will cause a surprise to others, and to live in a way that maybe even is disliked by those around As we go through our passage, there are three points which should hopefully come up on the screen. And the first one is done with sin. Done with sin. And that's verses 1 to 3. See, Peter opens up our passage by reminding those that he was writing to of what it means to live as a Christian. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Do you know, Peter, we think back throughout his letter, he has shown us that Christ in his life suffered. And so... It shouldn't be a surprise then if those that follow him experience a similar pattern. But Peter says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. And that attitude is what Peter explains next. He says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. What does it mean? What does Peter mean here by whoever suffers in the body is done with sin? What does he mean here? Well, Wayne Grudem helpfully explains uh, by saying, he says, whoever has suffered for doing right and has still gone on obeying God in spite of suffering it involved has made a clear break with sin. In other words, going through the suffering, going through mocking for being a Christian is proof that Jesus is Lord and I am not. Because if we are still the king of our lives, then who in their right mind would go through suffering for being a Christian? But because Jesus is Lord, because we love him, because he's, he's rescued us through his death and his resurrection, what we've just remembered, because of that, our decision to remain faithful to him, even in the tough times, 
shows that we are done with sin. We are done living our old life where we were king. We've made a decision to follow Jesus and we're not turning back, no matter how hard it gets. As verse 2 shows, it says, not living for our own desires, not living for our own desires, our own glory, but rather living for the will of God. You might have heard the phrase, uh, crossing the Rubicon. Uh, it's, it's new to me. If you, if you didn't know where that came from, uh, well, it dates back apparently to, to the days of Julius Caesar, uh, before he became emperor. And at that time, Rome was governed not by one man, but by a group, uh, a senate. And Caesar, he went off to go and fight uh, a couple of battles. And he comes back in a siege for quest for power. And so he gathers this army together. And the people back in Rome, the senate, the people who ran the country, they said to Caesar, if you cross the boundary line, that is it. And that boundary line was the Rubicon River. Crossing the Rubicon was the mark of no return. There was no return for Caesar once he crossed that river. He'd chosen what side to be on. And even though that river, if you go to Italy and you see it, is is an insignificant stream, it was the most significant decision that Caesar took. And you know, Peter in our passage, he's saying that Christians make that same decision when it comes to following Jesus. There is that same Rubicon River that says, once I cross, I don't look back. We're done with our old life. Does that mean that we don't sin? Is that what it's saying? Of course not. Maybe you feel like me sometimes and you barely step out of bed some days, and you fail Jesus in some way. No, we still mess up. But what's changed is that that's not what we want to do anymore. It's not us by the Spirit's work in us, our desire to keep living for ourselves and what we want to do, but rather, as Peter says, choosing and desiring to live for the will of God, to make Jesus Lord and King of our lives. We've crossed the Rubicon. We're done with sin. That is behind. That's our old life. And Jesus calls us to new management, his authority. And you know, in verse 3, if you look with me, Peter again, he echoes and shows us this done with sin theme. He says, for you have spent enough time living in the past, doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing. They're like heavy drinking parties and detestable idolatry. Now, do you know, when I go through, when I went through that list, do you know, the temptation is to look at the list and to think that maybe you're doing very well. I mean, this is quite the list, isn't it? Peter says, this is what you did, but now you're done with sin. We live not for ourselves anymore, but for our loving God that has brought us into relationship with him. And that means that instead of Christians reflecting the culture around them, that's what those things would have, that would have been a normal things that were taking place at that time. Instead of Christians reflecting the culture around them, Christians are to reflect Christ. And that's what we're going to see next in our second point, which is 
surprised with you. Surprised with you. And that's verse 4. Now we've seen so far, Peter tells us that Christians have made a decision to be done with sin. To live for the will of God. Jesus is Lord. We live his way. And living his way means that we reflect Christ and not our culture around. But that, as we see next, does not go unnoticed. Look with me at verse 4. Peter says, They are surprised that you do not join them in reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. You see, Peter, he's he's obviously heard that that people are beginning to notice these people who are beginning to follow Jesus. Once they used to go to the drinking parties and drink way too much, once they used to go and, and worship with them, these sort of fake idols, and now these Christians don't do that. These Christians don't join in with what everyone else is doing. What they've started doing is verse 2. Living for the will of God. Living with Jesus as Lord. And therefore, Christians are a surprise to everyone around them. They stick out. But Peter says, well, they're not just surprised at you when you don't join in. But rather, he ends by saying that people end up heaping abuse on you. You know, there's a a story of uh, Billy Graham when he was playing golf with President Ford. They were out playing golf and and two other golf pros join them as they go on their round of golf. And once they finish playing, uh, one of the other golfers ran up to one of the golf pros who joined Billy Graham and President Ford on the golf and, and ran up and said, what was it like playing golf with the president and with Billy Graham? And at that point, one of the golf pros just unleashes a torrent of abuse. And in a disgusted manner, he said, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And he stormed off and he went and sat on a bench away from everyone else. And after a few minutes, one of his friends came over and went over and said, Ah. was Billy rough out you was really rough on you out there. And you know the pro with an embarrassed sigh, he goes, No. He didn't mention religion once. Do you know for Billy Graham, the very fact that he was a Christian, the very fact that he acted and spoke in a different way was enough for this pro to heap abuse on him. Even though he hadn't said anything yet about the gospel. You know, often at the times when Christians reflect Christ and not culture, you know, people can assume lots of different things. That it's because Christians are so self-righteous. They believe they're so much better than everyone around them. And you know, whilst we pray that's not what we portray to those around, it's as far from the truth as it could be. To live like Christ and not our culture is to stand out. It is to be noticed by those around us. And you know, the real challenge for me this week as I was reading this and I was thinking about it was does my life surprise anyone? Are people surprised by what I say? How I act? Are they surprised by how much I love Jesus? Are they surprised 
that though I'm like everyone else, I don't act like everyone else? Are they surprised by the priorities that I set in life? Am I the southerner in Newcastle to them? Similar, yet so different. And I was so challenged by this this week, and it's been my prayer. It's been, Lord, let my life as I live for you be a surprise to people. May they find something surprising in me. May they see something in you in what I do. And even if that means getting abuse, if that means getting mocked, give me the strength, Lord, to not bow to the pressure, but to keep living for Jesus. Peter says, surprised, they're surprised with you. You're done with sin, they're surprised with you. And finally this evening, our third point is appointment with God. Appointment with God, and that's the last verses of our passage, verses five and six. You know, Peter was writing to those who we've seen are experiencing abuse, they're experiencing insult for living so differently to those around them. And you know, it was probably really hard for those Christians that Peter was writing to to keep on going, to be encouraged. Maybe this evening we find it the same. But Peter ends our passage by just lifting our eyes to the reality that we don't often see and that we don't often think about. Look with me at verse 5. Peter says, But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Peter says, remember one thing, the appointment with God that is coming. Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is the great reality that Peter shows us that is coming. And those that relentlessly mock, those that persecute, those that heap abuse, well, they will have to give an account as well to God the one that has made us. And because that's true, Peter ends by saying that is why the gospel is preached, even to those that are now dead. He's not saying that he's preaching to those that are dead. He's not going around cemeteries giving sermons. But that's the reason for preaching the gospel to those who were alive, but now he's heard have died. So that even though they've died in the body, that's what judged according to the human standards in the body, they've died. Because they've heard and they've trusted the gospel, the amazing news about Jesus, where it says they can live according to God in the spirit. They can know eternal life. They can know eternity with the God that has made them. Peter says that is the reality of our appointment with God. The reality of our appointment with God is the reason that we preach the gospel. So that even though we die, we might live. Even though our earthly life ends, our eternal life can begin. That is what hearing, that is what believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus does. It turns an appointment with God that would end deservedly with God repaying my rebellion 
with his perfect justice into an appointment with God, knowing forgiveness, knowing his love and life because of what the Lord Jesus has done. That is why we preach the gospel. And we echo what Paul says in Romans 1 verse uh, verse 16, where he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. Peter says, look to the appointment with God. This day when we'll have to give an account before him. Be encouraged that God sees everything. God sees the way people treat his people. The way his people are mocked. And he stands ready to judge. But also this is the reason for sharing the gospel. The reason for telling others about Jesus. Because it's only Jesus that can allow us to stand before God with complete confidence and assurance that we will not face his judgment, but rather know his love and grace in our lives. Let that drive us to sharing the gospel, to give the reason for the hope that we have found in Jesus, as Peter mentions a bit earlier on. Or do you know, as we go into this week, Do you know, let's be so encouraged by what Peter says. How he shows Christians to be those that choose to reflect Christ and not the culture around them. People that are done with sin. Done living for themselves. Done living with them as king. But rather living with Jesus as Lord because of the magnitude and the extent of his love shown for us on the cross or we live for him what a privilege that is to live for the Lord Jesus and even though it surprises even though it might result in abuse Peter says lift your eyes to the appointment with God that is coming a day that drives us to sharing Jesus with all those that we find ourselves around Well, we're going to take time now to discuss some questions which should come up on the screen. The first one says, in what ways does living for Christ differ from living like our culture? And the second question says, how does verse 5, verse 5 saying, uh, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. How does that increase our heart, our motivation for sharing the gospel. Just a couple of questions there that we'll take time to discuss around our tables. And after we've done that, Chris will then come and lead us in the rest of our service.